So it's a pretty interesting day for us to be chatting about Facebook because we are certainly not the only ones talking about Facebook today. Um, we have been actually subjected to quite a bit of news about Facebook for the last several weeks. I think you know folks have been probably following along as I believe the Wall Street Journal has been kind of breaking this series of Facebook leaked documents and then that kind of all culminated this weekend in a 60 minutes interview with the Facebook whistleblower who is at the center of some of these new revelations about how Facebook operates and uh, it's harm that it's it's doing or potentially doing to some of its users. And then uh, as we record this now this morning, that whistleblower has participated in a pretty significant hearing with one of the committees in the US Senate that is in like a pretty stunningly bipartisan way, really, really concerned about what they're learning about what's happening inside Facebook and the extent to which Facebook in particular and maybe technology platforms in general require some sort of regulation to help curb some of the, the, those, those issues. And unrelated, but kind of almost uh, darkly ironic, uh, Facebook also along with Instagram and WhatsApp we're just out of service yesterday for a few hours. So this is just not a great week for Facebook. Um, but anyway, I think there's lots to talk about. And as always, I think, you know, you and I are particularly interested in some machine learning components here. And uh, I, I can't even really probably fully articulate all of the different things that have been raised and accusations that have been made and problematic pieces of the leaked documents and the testimony and 60 minutes interview, because they really are quite a lot. And they're, they range from, you know, Facebook permitting targeting of, you know, drug parties and tips to become or to sustain anorexia at young children, to promoting con content to people that help, that harms their sort of sense of self-worth, to increasing likelihood of suicide, to increasing likelihood of ethnic genocide. I mean, it's just really runs the gamut. And, and one of the things that, that kind of, frankly, sadly, uh, sits at the center of all this is just like the algorithms that that are at play in distributing content across Facebook and Instagrams and and, and the, the the feeds in those platforms, um, and a lot of those algorithms have are, are powered by or are powered in part by machine learning. So I think you and I both wanted to chat a little bit about that because it is just there's so much to talk about, and I'm sure we'll just scrape the surface, but maybe to to start off, you can just share, I know that you have done sort of a review of what are just some of the ways that Facebook uses machine learning uh, it, to, to, to power its application. Yeah, and I think it's important to sort of think about and talk about the ways that machine learning is used at Facebook in a, plat in, in a platform like this, because I don't imagine that the concept of Facebook and social media platforms are going to disappear in the future. I mean, the demand, I think Facebook has like 1.9 billion active users daily. The demand is absolutely there. So that cannot be ignored. However, there's gotta be a better way. I mean, like yeah. you mentioned just now, so many problems are emanating from Facebook that like, you know, even just the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to and rub, rubbed elbows with, uh, they're really smart and, you know, innovative people. And so I just imagine that like, there are better ways to meet the demand and create a more socially connected world 
Um, and I think that machine learning is potentially helpful in doing that, but understanding the ways that Facebook is using machine learning, I hope will be helpful for other entrepreneurs, other, other business-minded people uh, when thinking about ways to build a better platform in the future, potentially. Um, and so some of the ways that like Facebook uses machine learning, they use it basically in everything. Um, I think that there was a paper that was published in 2018 by Facebook researchers that said that um, machine learning is basically at the core of the platform. And some of the ways that it's used is in the newsfeed, uh, which is, is pretty commonly known, in ads, in their search functions, in something called Sigma, which is a framework that Facebook uses to classify and detect classify content and detect anomalies. And also in something called Facer, which is uh, Facebook's um, framework to detect face faces um, and yeah, identify faces. And so I'll just go into, I think the one that I found most interesting um, was the news feeds, because I think that that has really started to shape people's sort of understanding of the world uh, in a way, because, you know, when Facebook is the first thing that people log into every day and the news article that's at the top or the comment that's at the top, that really shapes the way that you think. And so the way that these algorithms work, um, and I'll do my best to explain it because obviously I'm not incredibly technical, but basically the way that I like to think about it is how I would recommend or decide to share a piece of information with my friend. So if I wake up in the morning and I read the entire New York Times and I see all of the articles and then I talk to my friend and I want to tell her about one of the articles, you know, I want to start with telling her one of the articles. What am I going to start with? Okay, well, I have information about what she likes. You know, maybe I know her gender. I know her name. I know a little bit about her background. I know the information that she's given me. And I also know the articles that we've talked about in the past. I know the articles that she's liked in the past. And so using all of this information, I can create a prediction for what article I think that she would like. Um, and then I can bring that article to her and tell her about it. Machine learning works in a similar way. Um, so it takes the data that people provide by, you know, when you're creating an account, you put in your name, your age, your email address, your location, all these bits and pieces of information. Facebook also collects information about the different uh, articles you click, things that you like, things that you comment on, things that you interact with. And um, it uses that data to train a model. And then that model is able to predict uh, what article or what piece of information you might enjoy seeing um, and what article or piece of information you are likely to interact with. And so that would be ranked higher on your newsfeed. So that's just one example. It's a good dovetail to what this whistleblower, I think, is whistleblowing about um, to, to some extent. And again, I don't, I almost... I'm like loath to try and summarize it because it, it would be to reduce it too much. Because I'll say like, for example, part of her whistleblowing process is a, a complaint she's filed with the SEC suggesting that Facebook is committing securities fraud by keeping information from uh, its shareholders about research that it's doing and also double counting users 
across platforms and so therefore giving a false impression to its shareholders about how many active daily users it has. So it's a, it's a pretty expansive things that are being sort of alleged here. So this is not to suggest this is all of it. Um, but to your point about this feed, it's so interesting because I think the way you just described it and the way that like, to use your words, right? Like a an innovative entrepreneur who wanted to build a platform like like a Facebook-like platform today would 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 think about it is exactly the way that you described it, right? Is I want to make sure that my users are happy. I think if they're happy, if they're seeing content they enjoy, that they like, I mean, these were kind of like all words you used, but what the whistleblower has shown and what the leaked documents basically spell out is that that's not exactly the target that Facebook has used when training its models, that that was a sort of internal metric that they, like for them, they said, we want, you know, we want to know that users are liking our content. Um, and in some ways you might think they have a very clear visualization, you know, visibility into that because they literally have a like button, you know, they invented the like button. So they know if someone likes something, but I think it got a lot more complicated than that very quickly. And machine learning helped make that complicated. Um, but unfortunately, in not a, such a great way. And by that, I mean that they seem to stray pretty quickly away from, is this bringing my users joy, happiness? Do they like this? And more towards, are they engaging with this content? And an engagement was more like, are they commenting on it? Are they resharing it? Those became more interesting to them. And I think you can kind of work backwards from that. Why? It's because those were the things that allowed there to be a proliferation of more and more content, right? A comment itself is content. Reposting and resharing is the recreation of original content. Um, and if and and if someone is now trying to create content that's being rewarded by comments and reposting, right? It just re it it just creates a cycle of new new content, and that just keeps someone hooked on the platform um, more. It turns out than just seeing if someone's scrolling through and either not engaging at all or every once in a while just hitting a like, hitting a like, hitting a like. Um, and the consequence of that is unfortunately that the kinds of content that make people most interested in reposting, resharing, and commenting are the pieces of content that actually elicit the strongest negative behavior or, or emotions. They're anger, divisiveness, um, mistrust. And so it turns out that the entire machine learning model is more or less optimized to a target of bad feelings than it is actually of good feelings. Yeah. And it's interesting because we see this in software and also even in marketing that sometimes you do sort of proxies for behavior. So I guess like it is, you know, in my example about my friend, it's very clear to me whether she kind of likes the article or not, whether it brings her joy, whether it makes her angry. But on Facebook, it's so, it's, it's so difficult that like, I can imagine that at the beginning, engagement sharing may have been a proxy for a positive emotion. But now we're seeing in research that like people are sharing the most divisive things, lies just like spread faster than any other type of content that like the like button is not a proxy for a positive feeling. It is often like, can encourage even like negative content. So, yeah. Well, and, and um, 
one of the things that I thought was so interesting from these leaked documents is this concept that Facebook has of the MSI, they call it the meaningful social interaction. And this has become just like a holy grail metric for them is does they want to give more exposure to content that has a high MSI. And why I love this as a kind of, uh, as something to examine is that it is such an interesting evolution from rules-based system to machine learning. And unfortunately, again, sort of gone in my view, awry because of sort of, um, you know, uh, just sort of, you know, bad actors, you know, who are at the heart of it all, who are, or who are prioritizing sort of profit and growth to at the expense of literally anything else that comes in, you know, that crosses its path. And so that MSI figure used to be um, calculated by a rules-based system. And interestingly enough, that rules-based system awarded more points to not just engagement, but engagement that was from someone who was close to you. So in your example, if you showed someone an article that you read from the New York Times, I think you'll like this story. And she was she both liked it, you know, so like, you know, she, you get, you'd get a point for her liking it. Maybe she even had a comment about it. We don't know if it was good or it was bad. Either way, you're going to get a point, but because she's really close to you, she's your close personal friend. And maybe you have a lot of shared acquaintances. Um, that's worth even more points, but if some stranger walking by that you don't really know who just happens to overhear you talking to this friend about this article starts yelling about, are you crazy? This is, this, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. Like, this is fake news. Like just starts like berating you then. Okay. Maybe technically in that rules-based system, you'd get another point on MSI because that was an engagement, but that point would be worth a lot, lot less. Maybe you'd get now minus three points because that person's point doesn't work. Isn't worth as much as your close friend's point is. Cause this is just some stranger. Hmm. Well, by doing away with the rules-based system and just optimizing for engagement, the kind of closeness factor has basically just evaporated or it's been entirely eclipsed by just straight up engagement. And engagement has trumped even again, like it mean, comment engagement and sharing engagement has just trumped liking and other, any other sort of engagement as well. So suddenly it was like, well, if you can post something um, and get a random group of strangers worked up enough about it to comment on it, that's going to have a higher MSI than if you posted like a family photo that all your close friends love. Mm -hmm. But that totally changes the nature of, of the experience for the user. And you can tell how that would, uh, you know, completely change kind of the incentives around the kind of content that someone might want to create. And as a consequence, you know, I, I, you, this is exactly, you know, anyone who's been on Facebook for a long time, because it was exactly what, what, what has happened. It went from being a platform where you were seeing sort of friends and families, photos and updates that are very personal to their life about things they were doing, almost like a daily Christmas card mm -hmm. to exactly this, like a, 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 an inflammatory way to get something. And, and the one last thing I'll say about that is that they came up with this other concept that is the downstream MSI. I'm not even hundred percent sure where this phrase exactly came from downstream MSI, but my understanding is it basically is the, now the machine learning algorithm is not just looking at the con the, the machine learning algorithm is, is making predictions about what the engagement would be for other people. So now it's going out and saying like, yes, you shared this with your close friend because you thought this close friend would like it. But Facebook is going to go out of its way to share it with a bunch of other people it thinks it's going to get shares and comments from as well. 
so it's going out of its, so now it's not just that there's a random stranger walking by who overhears you and starts yelling it. It's like you have this third party that's purposely going out and finding that stranger and saying, hey, look at this thing Lily posted. Aren't you enraged by it? And yeah. these, that person responds as predicted, which is with enrage, you know, with outrage. And that in turn reproduces it further. So it's just, it is not, uh, it is just, it, I think one of the things that startles me a little bit about it, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is not so much that it is so um, newsworthy that they're, like that 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 Facebook can be a toxic place, mm-hmm. um, but but more so that there were actually like deliberate choices made by the company all along the way that have evolved it in that direction in a very predictable way because of what they were optimizing for, and I think for me and I think for you, I, my guess is to some extent as well as people who are interested in machine learning, it is a cautionary tale about like. Yes, of course. One of the beauties of these of this kinds of technology is that you don't have to hard code every single decision for it. You can just train it on a set of data and tell it what it is you're trying to optimize for and let it do a lot of the work, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, the the the, the values are baked in the data you're training it on and the thing you tell it to optimize for. So you can't absolve yourself of the responsibility of the machine just because it's mach- it's a it's machine learning technology or it's ai because at the end of the day you still have to take some responsibility for where what you're asking it to optimize for and what data you're training it on yeah and i mean like at the at the very core of this is sort of like a team of people who made some assumptions about like how the world works, you know, like, is it more meaningful when like your friends like your content or is it more meaningful if a stranger likes your content and then putting those into code that proliferates very quickly. And so like, you know, sometimes it's good when it multiplies sort of like great ideas from people, positive ideas, but of course, like the benefit and the curse of machine learning is that it's going to exponentially speed up, uh, the proliferation of those ideas. Uh, But it is interesting to me because like, I mean, even, you know, I used to like sing in high school and everybody in my tight knit circle would always say that I was a good singer. But what I really cared about was strangers. Do strangers think I'm a good singer? (laughs) Because like my friends are always gonna maybe tell me what I wanna hear. So like, I wanna know what strangers think. So so just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, I see potentially the strength of a stranger validating your idea versus a close friend potentially validating it. Well, and there's no doubt, and this is why, again, I think like these things are intrinsically related, like what the machine does and what people want it to do, whether, whether we're all so forthright about that or we're so proud about that or not, because exactly to your point, it's not like social media's exclusive promise has been, and the thing people have coveted about it has been that it is just this private little network of your close personal friends and family that you just get to digitize, Mm -hmm. right? Like there is an entire universe of people who have built professions and an even larger group of people who have built aspiring professions uh, towards fame and influence using social media as, as an audience builder, as an audience generator. So absolutely. I mean, I think, again, it's like, these are, the, these are not things where we are just slave to a machine that took us to an outcome that no one wanted or pursued. Mm-hmm. 
And we're also not just slaves to like some overlord at Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, you know, telling us what the, there's definitely the things are happening in dialogue with one another that there's, there, there are very base human desires at play here. And in some cases they're being exploited and outright, you know, or taken advantage of outright exploited. And then in other places they're, they're, they're just being magnified, you know, but, but I think that's, I guess it's just like, if there's, there, there's a, probably a lot of morals to the story. And certainly I'm still wrestling with all that there is to take away from all that we're learning about this. But one of them is that it's, it can be difficult to sort of suss out the role that people play and the responsibility they have when they are engaging with technology at this scale, mm -hmm. but that as hard as it is, it's pretty darn important because if you can't start to decide which people are responsible and where it's important to have human agency and responsibility in the, in the process, um, you can just imagine a world where it, this total dystopian future, where we're all just like pointing fingers back at some black box machine. <laughs> like I, well, I, I mentioned before, I think that like, I almost got a little glimpse of this when I was listening to this whistleblowers um, testimony in the Senate, because she was suggesting that Facebook prides itself by being a data driven company. And it somehow has othered itself from the decisions it makes by pointing back to metrics and just saying like, evaluating what they're doing based upon the metrics. So it's like, how can a person, for instance, sit down in a meeting with other people and look at research that Facebook itself has conducted, that Facebook itself has spent money on and has asked the question, what is the impact on our Instagram news feed or Instagram feed on young women? And the research be like unequivocal that it's increasing rates of suicide and, you know, other negative feelings and anorexia and any number of other problems and say, okay, well, actually we, we do know that if we pull this lever, this lever, and this lever, we can significantly curb the extent to which the kind of content that's generating those feelings is, is curbed and it's reduced. And, and, and we can see how that would have, how do those people when looking at that, not make that decision, but rather say, no, like it's, Good to know. Maybe we can deal with something in the future, but like there's, you know, that we're not going to make any changes right now, which is essentially what Facebook is accused of. And I think more or less the answer, I think, you know, that this, this whistleblower gave is like you, you almost morally justify it by othering yourself entirely from it. It's like, well, because that would, if that cuts into MSI, we know what our metric is. And that metric is just sort of algorithmically determined. And we can't make changes that would, de that would degrade, you know, sort of our MSI metric. And again, that's just sort of like a, a very dystopian reality where suddenly the this metric, as if humans have nothing to do with it, is is governing what should be, I think, you know, much more morally difficult questions than it seems that, that you know uh, uh, Facebook has been willing to grapple with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very fascinating because it's technology, but it's also humanity really woven together at their. I don't want to say finest, but at their like truest almost. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure uh, to some extent, this will be the beginning of a lot of changes. And I think to your, to your point, maybe sort of where I'll make my final comment is just that I think, you know, Facebook is obviously a pioneer, right? So, you know, and, and Instagram. So they have 
been first to a lot of things, you know, um, in this world of technology. And as a consequence, and this is not to excuse their bad behavior, but I think as a consequence, they are also first to make on a very grand stage some really awful mistakes um, and to demonstrate some really awful practices. Um, and so what will be really interesting will be what does a generation of entrepreneurs, business leaders, technologists, consumers who are no longer newbies at this in the same way that we have been for the last decade? What, what does that generation do with this technology? Because again, I don't think the takeaway, at least for me, is that something about this technology is insidious. In fact, if anything, I look and I see the promise of this technology to resolve, as we've talked about in the past, a lot of really massive issues that face trying to deal with humans at scale on the internet. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll see whatever that next group of, of entrepreneurs is. And undoubtedly, this moment in Facebook slash Instagram's history will give rise to an entire cadre of businesses and organizations designed entirely to, to be a response to that, you know, to, to be the counter, the foil, the opposite. So um, I think it's, a, it, it's hard, it feels like it's hard to overstate the significance of the last three or four weeks, probably, as it pertains to one of the biggest companies in America right now. And, yeah. um, and uh, it really feels like we're very much right in the thick of it. And I have no doubt that there's lots more interesting stuff to come. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, great. Thank you so much, Andrew. It was great to talk yeah. to you. Yeah. Likewise. Take care. Bye.